Welcome to On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Hey, Jen. Hey. This is one of my favorite episodes. I think this is the third or fourth time that we have had an episode focused on our listeners and the specific questions that they would like us to answer. So both of us have posted that outreach in our Facebook groups, and we've gotten some great questions that could... Wow. Keep us busy all day long. We've got lots of material here, so let's just dive in. Sure. What you got? All right. So one of my Building Boys members, uh, Deanna, asked us about finding the perfect balance of keeping your boy busy enough to stay out of trouble, yet not overscheduled. This is, a, this is an issue that pretty much every family faces these days. We're all trying to walk that tightrope. What are your thoughts on how parents can find that balance? I'm going to turn that right back around to you, Jen. How do you do that in your house? <laughs> well, that's assuming that I do. And my first thought on this question is there is no such thing as perfect balance. There just isn't. Because as soon as you think you find it, your car breaks down or a kid gets sick or something else happens. So forget the idea of perfect balance. That's not going to happen. That said, I think you need to look at both your son and yourself and your family. Because it's not just about what's right for him. It's about what works for all of you. You've worked with lots of families what are some signs that you see that can say, hey, this is too much going on here for the boy and the family? I really like that you pointed out that it is the whole family picture, not just the boy. And that is the mom, if you are running around to four or five different lessons and practices and all of that, no one in your family is having quality time. Mm -hmm. especially not you. And so making a sane schedule a priority is important. And your children, I promise, will survive if they don't play lacrosse, soccer, and baseball all in one season. And your bank account will be better off for it as well. Definitely. And it's about prioritizing. Sure, you want your son likely to be in a sport or in a club, but he does not have to be in two or three. And I think that's part of this culture of, oh, well, if he's busy, he's learning things. And, and yet, where is the place for family time, mm -hmm. for time to be bored, for time to just simply rest and recharge? I think a lot of that leads into, you know, all the other things we talk about around anxiety and depression. And part of that is simply being stressed by our schedules. Mm -hmm. So much of this has to be individualized. Mm -hmm. You have to begin by looking at your son, first of all. 
is he the kind of person who thrives on being involved in an activity, having a schedule, or is he the kind of person who prefers to have more unstructured time and kind of fill it on his own? Those are very different personalities. Both are okay. So depending on which kind of boy you have, that's going to be a difference in how you answer this question. And I like what you said, boredom is necessary. Now, it's really tricky for us as parents, especially here in the States, we're heading into summer, kids get off of school, parents still have to work. The last thing you want is your unsupervised kid, because you have to work, getting into trouble, uh, coming up with some really crazy ideas with friends. So it's very tempting to put them in something structured all the time. Mm -hmm. Because our country has not created great options for parents and families. If that's what you have to do to keep your kids safe over the summer, do what you have to do. Yeah. But if you can give your kid a little bit more freedom, um, I'd say watch that your son is using most of his time in productive manners. Now, that doesn't mean there's no time to just sit on the couch and play video games, right? But if your son is doing something where he's learning something and he's interacting with other people on a regular basis, either through a job or through involvement in a club. I consider those signs of a healthy balance. Me too. At my house this summer, things are going to be very loose, actually. This will be the first summer that nobody is playing sports. Wow. Right? I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. It'd be great. Um, My 18-year-old, for the second summer in a row, has decided not to play summer baseball because he wants more time to fish. Great. And he's old enough now, he can get himself to and from. And he does. He spends a lot of time fishing. The 16-year-old, he's kind of talking about a job. He does also work part-time for his dad. And honestly, I've not seen him enough in the last few days to figure out exactly how his summer is looking. And my 13-year-old, we all know, cuts lawns. That's what he does in the summer. He cuts lawns, he hangs out with friends, and it's a really good balance for him. Aaron in my Boys Alive Facebook group posted asking, hoping for some great advice. And she writes about her almost 10-year-old in fourth grade having report card feedback of, we know that he can talk and get his work done at the same time, but he needs to respect the fact that other students are disrupted by his talking. And mom says, okay, I get it. I heard the same exact feedback on my report cards. We're chatty people. But now we're getting negative reports that are more serious because when he is asked to stop talking or joking around in class, he is defiant. He keeps doing what he's doing. And then he tries to talk back when he gets a consequence. Sound familiar? It sounds too familiar. Yes. Oh, yes, please. Because I'm going to be turning to you for uh, intelligence. Let me go on. When we talk to him about it, he acts like a victim who is unfairly persecuted. He'll bring up the fact that another kid is doing the same thing but didn't get in trouble. He'll argue with his teachers that his behavior isn't that bad. I'm emphasis here, I'm putting the emphasis, and that they're just being hard on him. 
He'll talk over them and get angry. We're not sure how to handle this. He has certainly talked back to us at home before many times, but he has never been disrespectful to his teachers. And like I mentioned, he won't ever accept any responsibility for his actions. We are kind of at a loss. Them and most other parents of fourth grade boys and fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. This has been such a challenge for me in my life. I have had almost the exact same conversation uh, with teachers, with my boys. Unfortunately, I don't think there are easy answers to this. What do you think, Janet? I'm, I'm remembering Sam and his art teacher <laughs> and the conflict, many conflicts that they've had. Yes. Well, I think part of this is very age appropriate and recognizing the developmental stage that they're at. We talk a lot in Waldorf education about the nine-year change, and the nine-year change can be 10, 10 years old too, but it is definitely a shift in their consciousness. And so there is this place where they are starting to feel like an individual, where they're starting to question every adult in their life and feeling that place of right and wrong and justice and why me and all of those bigger questions are coming to the fore for that nine, 10 year old kiddo, boy or girl. And so it comes out in these ways of feeling you know, the world is against him and what's wrong with me? I didn't do it. It's not that bad. I think part of it is just recognizing that pushback that happens and that it is normal. That this does not mean you are doing a terrible job raising your son. Exactly. And while it may be normal and while you are doing just fine, dear listeners, we still have to rein it in. He does not get to run roughshod over his teachers and his parents and his friends just because he's feeling this new uh, way of taking on the world. Mm -hmm. The other tricky part here, we talked about in a a different recent episode in our negative stereotypes episode. Sometimes the boys are right. Sometimes they are being treated unfairly. Sometimes they are being viewed as the troublemaker or the perpetrator when they're not. So that's another twist and complication that we have to consider here. Certainly, I am not suggesting that every time uh, your son is in the right and the teacher's always in the wrong and none of us want to be that parent. Do not always take your son's side over the, the teacher's side because, listen, you've been parenting your son for a long time. He's always going to make himself look good and the other people look bad. You need to get the whole picture. And like you said, begin to help him differentiate between what he did, what other people did, 
what he could have done differently, even if somebody else started this whole situation, what maybe could he have done differently? You're not going to solve this in, in one conversation. If it's continual, then it's time to collaborate with his teacher and approach it in that manner as team. And as one mom in, the, in this Facebook stream wrote, this is likely not the teacher's first rodeo with mm. 10-year-old boys. And so if it feels like it's getting out of hand, then have a conversation with the teacher with your son mm -hmm. in the way of this is a, this is what I'm seeing. This is a problem. Not that, not focused on your son's behavior necessarily, but take it out of him and put it out in the middle. Brene Brown recommended this wonderful question to ask. And this is a great way to bring it in to the conversation without it being pointed, without pointing fingers at someone. And so this is from Brene Brown. She said, try this. And this is in quotes. This is what you say, mom. The story I'm telling myself about why you're behaving this way or why we're getting these messages from the teacher, whatever it is, the story that I'm telling myself is X, Y, Z. I'm telling myself that, you know, you're being irresponsible, whatever it is, you'll know what to fill it in. But the question that she ends, ends this with is, where am I getting it wrong? So here's what I'm seeing. This is the story I'm telling myself. Where am I getting it wrong? And that's such a way to just open the conversation from a different angle than maybe he's been used to being approached. I saw somebody else sharing that quote around earlier this week, and it struck me as well, especially with a kid this age and a boy. I think it could be particularly effective because we're talking about how he's seeing adults aren't always right. Yeah. So by asking this, where am I getting that wrong question, you are giving him free reign to tell you what you're doing wrong. That's almost irresistible for a 10-year-old oh. boy. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, maybe wait until you're in a really solid, feeling good spot about yourself because you might get unloaded on. Mm -hmm. But that's good too, because in all of that, there is gold. Mm -hmm. If you can observe it and, and really, really listen to what he's saying. I want to reiterate that this all takes time. This process of helping your son see and accept responsibility for his behavior is a years long process. When you get the phone call, or the email, or the report in parent-teacher conferences from a teacher, our reaction so often as parents is, this is a problem I need to solve, and I need to solve it now. Mm -hmm. And that's not realistic. That's not how life is going to work. So we're giving you some ideas and strategies that you can use over time. Some days you're going to see success. Other days you're going to get another email from the teacher, and you're going to think, ugh, we're never going to get this. And then someday... He is going to be 25 years old and a respectful human being 
and you're going to know you did it. And you will have forgotten about no, you won't. this moment <laughs> in time. No? Well, maybe yeah. that specific moment, but I think yeah. you, rem- like, you remember that feeling and those struggles and those years of just feeling like you're banging your head against a wall. But, you know, I want to think about this too, because well, this memory, I've been talking about it. I've been thinking about it lately because I just did an, a webinar on how to advocate for your son. And I was recalling talking about languaging and the language that teachers use with their students. And my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Kingsley, called me up in front of the classroom. This is one of those moments you never forget and told me how bossy I was. And it stemmed from being out, I know, right? It stemmed from being out at recess, and I have memories of this, of just being out playing kickball with boys and girls, screaming and yelling at each other and getting the rules and no, you did this, and and having those moments of just being able to just unleash all for the good of the game, right? And nobody's really mad at each other, but it's just that like letting out these pent up frustrations and no, it should be this way. And it's, and it was fourth grade. I was 10 years old and it was that time where I could see these differences and how things should be. And I don't know if we let our kids go that far in many situations nowadays. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see that happening on playgrounds. Like to really be able to go toe to toe with another kid and work it out and come back to play again another day in that free form way. What do you think? I'm wondering if you think that would help diffuse some of the tension then that sometimes arises between students and teachers in the classroom. You know, if students do have places where they can just get it out and basically say, you're wrong, and the other person says, no, you're wrong, and you go back and forth, are you then in a better place to, you know, take in what your teacher is saying? I think so. Don't Mm -hmm. we have to, like, let the lid off every now and then? Even as adults. Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, we are striving to grow these amazing, awesome human beings and do everything we can as parents. And it's kind of like that place where we don't want our kids to be in a bad mood. So we do everything we can to, you know, make them happy. And yet we're human and we do have bad days and we are frustrated and we do want to yell. And so what's the balance? When do we get to do that? And then of course the learning is, you know, how to do it appropriately and in a socially accepted way. Easy. Sure. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I'm still trying to figure that out. (laughs) So I have a question that seems related to this to me. It's a bigger one, but it's related. Penny asks, when is disrespect, and she, she put it in quotation marks, when is disrespect really disrespect? How much energy, attention, and punishment should we devote to it? Or is it they re- that they really need to be listened to and understood without judgment? 
Oh, I love that. Isn't that a great question? Yeah. It makes me think of the definition of bullying. Okay. Which is when it's something done over and over again and directed at a target. That is part of the definition of bullying. So I think in, for Penny, for this question around disrespect, is it constant? Is it always towards the same person or for the same reason? You know, it's all, I mean, again, and, and we talk so much about grace and I'm not saying it's okay to be disrespectful, but it's like you learn it over time. Mm-hmm. And yes, you are going to have that 25, 30 year old man who is not disrespectful as the norm. And also I get caught up in the word disrespect because what exactly is disrespect? That is such an important point. And as a parent, I have found that this is one of my triggers. And I think it is for a lot of parents. It is easy for us, especially those of us who grew up in households where you were just expected to do what you were told to do. No questions asked. You had to be what you were expected to be. No questions asked. And anything outside of that was disrespect. So as a parent, I struggle with this still daily. It is so easy for me to walk around my house and see my son's discarded baseball jersey on the floor and a leftover box of crackers in the living room and interpret this as disrespect for me because Mm -hmm. it's my house and I have asked them time and time and time again, clean up after yourselves, right? Do they have to work on that? Yes, they do. I don't really think it's disrespect though because there is no deliberate intention there to disrespect anybody. It really is that they are busy and frankly baseball jersey and the crackers are not a priority to them right yeah and i i understand that you know i let things go when something is more important to me mm-hmm. i do that all the time so i have to separate that out them doing that does not mean that they don't respect me as a human being it can be very easy to interpret Almost everything our boys do is disrespect. Right. And I think, too, we need to be very explicit with them around what is disrespect. Mm -hmm. This is how I'm, the story I'm telling myself, back to the Brene Brown Mm -hmm. quote, is that you are disrespecting, that this is disrespectful. And like you said, could be totally wrong. They may not even understand the word disrespect. When I was a kid, my parents' favorite word to use with me was attitude. (laughs) Change your attitude. I did not know what the heck they were talking about. I had no clue what they meant when they said, you need to change your attitude. So I, I put disrespect in that category as well as we as adults have our own interpretation of that word. Mm-hmm. You have your own trigger around it. I have my own trigger around attitude. We have to be so explicit with our kiddos 
about what exactly they did that we are labeling disrespect. And I think we need to be clear about our expectations and boundaries as well. So, for instance, your son calling you a, some terrible names that I'm not going to say, to me, in my house, that is disrespect and will not be allowed. Honestly, my teenagers will use swear words in conversation with their friends. That's one thing. But if one of them were to try calling me a bitch, no, not okay. Being clear about those kinds of things. Respect mm -hmm. is this to me, and this will not be tolerated. Another thing that flips us up as parents sometimes, sarcasm. Mm -hmm. Boys traffic in sarcasm so much. And it passes as humor mm -hmm. for them. And a lot of times the way they show affection to their friends, to their mates, is with all these little sarcastic jabs. So sometimes, again, what can sound like disrespect to our ears might actually be them trying awkwardly to connect. So being explicit, talking about this, clarifying what's going on. And as far as the part of her question where she says, how much attention, energy, and punishment should we devote to it? Here's my radical answer to that. I'm going to say almost none. I and agree. Here's what I, here's what I think you should do instead. First of all, role model respect. You are never, ever, ever going to have respectful children if you yourself are treating others disrespectfully. And that's a given. And I know that our listeners are already doing that. The other thing is you need to make a conscious decision to focus on what's right. Instead of looking at and calling your son on the what he's doing wrong in terms of attitude, in terms of how he's talking to you, focus on what he is doing right and reinforce those things instead. And part of that focusing, and of course you don't want to belabor this, but if you can just put some droplets in there of, I saw or I heard you say, and here's what I saw on the other person's face. Mm -hmm. Here's what I saw, the, uh, how I saw the other person responding to you. It could be as simple as, I saw you open the door for that woman at the store and, you know, her shoulders went up and she smiled and you really made her day. Mm -hmm. Just as simple as that. But our boys need that put into words for them. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what reinforces them to do it the next time and the next time. Which is what builds respect yeah. and builds respectful behavior over time. I think all of this, Jen, you know, I just, I'm so in love with our Facebook groups and our moms and dads that chime in with questions and deep searching of how do I do this? How can I be a better parent? How can I understand my children more? And I know that your group is very active, as is mine, in people chiming in to respond and say, hey, this happened to me. You're not alone. I totally get it. I don't have an answer for you, but know that I'm with you. Mm -hmm. And I think that is just the beauty of 
this social media that we may have love, a love-hate relationship with, but it's definitely helping all of us to move forward and become that better parent that we are all striving to be, better human beings. I wish we could give everybody a quick follow these three steps and there's your answer. That's not how parenting is. Parenting is a long game. And these questions and the fact that people are continually coming to us with these show us that there are a lot of people putting great effort into raising great boys. Thank you. Thank you everybody for the work that you're doing because together, I do believe we are changing the world. Right on, sister. All right. That's great. Thanks for joining us. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, and we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men. We produce this podcast, but we also speak and write and offer family coaching and online programs to help parents and others better understand the needs of boys. If you are looking for a speaker or you would like to bring us to your school, company, or community, you can contact us at onboyspodcast.com.